Oh, where did it go? Baby, come back. You can blame it all on me. You ready? Mm-hmm. Three, two, one. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to She's... I left the window open. <laughs> Welcome back to She Left the Window Open. <sighs> Better in the beginning than... Halfway through. Halfway like, through. The window oh, up. I am well, Miss Lou in this bitch. PT here. <laughs> and today we're going to be talking about plastic surgery. We have a great interview that I did with Dr. Jason Martin from the Beauty and the Surgeon podcast. Mm-hmm. They are up on all podcast platforms if you want to listen to them. They give a lot of good information about plastic surgery, what happens during surgery, recovery, any question that you want to know about plastic surgery. Before you just dive in, huh? Before you dive in, that is the podcast to go to. Nice. So this is where, and I've mentioned it here and there briefly if you guys have checked on it, but this is where I want to talk about my plastic surgery that I have done, whatever I do to myself. Mm -hmm. Our listeners, our 20-year-old selves, know that everything isn't what it appears to be. Never. You know, we have social media. Everyone's Mm -hmm. filtered on there. I mean, I don't post a bad picture of myself. I don't necessarily filter the photos. I leave them the original. Yeah. But I can take a picture with this light up here, Mm -hmm. and it's just good lighting or from the natural sunlight. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to post a picture, you know, where, like, you can see from down here. and like, I agree with that. I don't filter my pictures either. Um, Sometimes I use the Facebook filters with the different animal faces and stuff like that. And, you know, but as far as just my regular pictures that I post, I don't put any filters. Yeah. Just try to mess with the light a little bit. Sun kissed as uh, little Lou says, you got to be sun kissed by the sun. It does. It makes you great. Remember that picture that Khloe Kardashian put out that wasn't filtered and she had this huge meltdown and how dare they put it up there. I mean, I feel like she has body dysmorphia uh, because... Yeah, I thought it was a decent picture. I think I, I remember that great. situation. But anyway. That. So... <sighs> Kardashian checks. In anyway. general, for my face, mm-hmm. I do get Botox. Mm-hmm. I get it about every five to six months. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes Ugh. I try to catch the good deals and I go a little bit early and it's all bad. Ugh. But I've been doing Botox since I was about 30. I'm about to turn 44. Mm-hmm. But I always felt like it was preventative. I just do my forehead in mm-hmm. between here, here. My clothes. Interesting. And then I get lip filler mm-hmm. because I did have some baloney lips. Mm. So I don't think I, I always just do one syringe. Mm-hmm. And the reason I like the person that does um, my filler and Botox mm-hmm. is because I'll be like, I want this and this. And she'd be like, no. <laughs> you don't need that I like that good okay I like that I've recently started lasering laser facials mm-hmm. for my um, dark spots because I'm Irish so I have a lot of freckles but you know when I was 20 mm-hmm. this is something you know you never mm-hmm. laid out in tan did you no okay well 
I did, and I could get pretty dark. Mm -hmm. But I would put baby oil on myself oh, to darken the process, and it just caused. Uh, I'm glad I only did that for a few years of my life because I would be looking about very burn. sizzle like, like bacon. Mm -hmm. Have you ever been to the beach and you see these old old ladies that are like super dark, but they like look like leather? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was like, this is not good for me. So uh, I don't even really go out in the sun anymore. Mm -hmm. But the big one was my tummy tuck. Uh, so what made you decide to do it? So I had my oldest when I was 19 years old mm -hmm. and I had a C-section mm -hmm. then because she was breech mm. and the scar was about this long and very low down. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of have a little bit of skin that goes over it. Yeah. It wasn't really a big deal. Mm -hmm. Never really bothered me. When I had my second, they went over the same scar and because I mm. stretched out, remember I like looked like I was a thousand months yeah. pregnant and my skin stretched so much that the scar, this, even the scar was the same. The skin rolled over oh. from hip to hip. And it bothered me. It mm -hmm. bothers me now when that, you can't, that bothers you. You can't wear clothes the way you want to. Yeah. You know, sometimes you just want to wear a dress and not wear a body shaper in right. the middle of summer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, a lot of reasons. Um, hmm. yeah. So I've been thinking about it. And I always said I'd never do it until I was done having kids. Mm -hmm. And then I had a couple miscarriages. So I was like, I am ba basically can't get pregnant again. Yeah. So. So it was worth it to do at that time. Mm -hmm. Okay. I, I like that. So well, then, so what was the process like, the beginning process of getting started? So luckily I knew people that gave me good referrals mm -hmm. to physicians. Mm -hmm. And I did a lot of research on the physicians. And I made an appointment. You make mm -hmm. a consult. Consult. And they usually okay. charge you a fee for the consult. So did they draw on your body and do like they, I've seen That them? was the day of surgery. Oh, okay, okay. All right. We'll talk about that because that, okay <laughs> so you do your consult okay. i did my consult with my surgeon mm -hmm. i love her to death she's you know they they quote you what you're gonna have i'm all do i qualify for a mini tummy tuck and she's like uh. no because uh just the way mini tummy tucks are basically for like really fit people oh, okay got that it. maybe have that little, little pooch yeah mm -hmm. so she's like you need to do the whole thing you need to get your basically your your muscle repair mm -hmm. which is where they tighten back up Mm -hmm. your abdominals and she says you need the lipo comes with it and then you need lipo on your back because if you don't get lipo on your back you're gonna look fat in the back right and good you'll have front. a muffin back pretty much mm. um and i kind of have that now because i've gained 20 pounds since the surgery which is not supposed to happen so all the fat doesn't come back oh. to where your lipo but it comes back in another so now area. i kind of look like a linebacker <laughs> i cut it out <laughs> no, I know, but like certain clothes I put right, on, I'd be like, right. oh my God. So, I mean, that's my fault and I need to lose weight, mm -hmm. which is a segue to our spinoff show, She's mm -hmm. Gonna Be Healthy, where we She's talk about all these things also. Healthy. I might just upload this episode to mm -hmm. that. But anyway, she said, you need to lose a little weight. You mm -hmm. need your BMI to come down um, because to be safe during the surgery. Right. Okay, so you had a little bit of work to do before. So I did lose about 10 pounds before the surgery, okay. which I yeah, was, I, I think, that. one point above my BMI that she wanted. But she said, you know what, I'll go ahead and, mm -hmm. and do it for you. Mm -hmm. um, I did the consult in June, July, mm -hmm. and I had the surgery in December. Wow. That was a, and yeah. the, and then It right, came up fast. <laughs> and then before on the pre-op, I had another appointment before the surgery. Mm -hmm. And that's when they took pictures. Uh, Girl, you are basically they give you a paper thong, mm -hmm. oh Lord, and you have to take pictures at every degree of angle oh uh, and it's that's a lot fucking of embarrassing. it's like awful you're like sitting there and, and it's not like the lighting's good in those rooms right They're fluorescent, They're fluorescent doctor horrible. physician offices lights 
All the dimples on your butt, everything. Every single one, the dimples uh, and the dimples. Oh. Okay. I asked her <laughs> to reduce my breasts. Mm-hmm. And my husband said, fuck no. <laughs> you leave those alone. And she right. said, that was probably a right idea because you're right. proportioned yeah. to your breasts. I was like, fine, whatever. Right. And then they just do a bunch of, um, at the time, make you take a COVID test right. and all this and that. And of course. Cause of different COVID. Okay. So what about the actual day? Uh, well, there's a two day process before the whole thing. Are you serious? So the first, so I had my surgery on a Monday and on Saturday, she said, don't, you can eat what you want, but don't like heavy, Go heavy. Crazy, yeah. And then the day before you have to be on a clear liquid diet oh, that until me. about 5 PM. And then you have, have to nothing. take a bowel prep. Oh, oh. So basically they want you cleaned out. Honestly, the bowel prep wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be like, you take the stuff, it's disgusting. And yeah. then you like, oh, like you cramp up and go, yeah. it wasn't anything like that. You took these pills, about 20 of them until you started going. And then it just came out like a faucet. It didn't hurt. You didn't cramp. Oh, wow. So that, I thought it was going to be bad. It wasn't bad. That would have been a little scary, but okay. I get that. Okay. So then you go to the surgery mm-hmm. and then you go um, and you get marked. Mm-hmm. Like, just marked all over more pictures taken Ugh. get an iv um they gave IV. me some medications none of them relaxing medications mm-hmm. um, they check your blood pressure oh, of course your vital signs all that, signs, uh-huh, all that. and then they do their time out where like and so i i look up and there's i'm in a little room like a pre-op room it's a mm-hmm. whole room mm-hmm. and then the surgery was at a surgery center so like her office is right next door got it so it wasn't in a hospital it wasn't like she had to go anywhere too far and so i look up and there's and you're in there by yourself because it was COVID before you uh, could have someone with you. So mm-hmm. I'm sure I was texting you. I don't remember. <laughs> and then all these people are standing there above me. And I was like, oh, God, it's happening. Uh, and so they do their business, like their right. timeout or their briefing, whatever they do to make sure, I guess, you're doing the right thing for the right person. Right. And they roll me in. I look up and there's huge TV screens. And there is me naked uh, on these TV screens. No. And I did say to her a few months later, I said, you know, I said, you guys shouldn't have people's pictures up there before they roll in the room. She's like, I know. We've, I'm so sorry. Oh we like realize God. that and we don't do that anymore. We turn them on after, mm-hmm. you know, you go to sleep. So basically they pull the gurney in and I look up and I don't remember anything else after that. that. They didn't even put me on the table. Oh my gosh. So they already had you ready to go by the time you, they slid you over to the table. Okay. All right. So what about recovery? How did you come with that go with that so recovery was very hard it wasn't Mm. easy at all you know i I hear about these women that want to go to different states because they have a higher bmi like they'll do surgery for people that are more obese Mm -hmm. or going out of the country because they're allowed to take more fat off right and then to get i mean there's no way i would go international go on a plane i had a lot of um small issues with my incision healing mm-hmm. and sutures coming out yeah and then i had to get a revision because um the way my body was and mm-hmm. she did that for free mm-hmm. but i got an infection and it was totally my fault because i she told me to rest for the weekend and oh. it was easter weekend and i ran around doing everything doing everything yep. in the most but i called her and i was like i have an infection and then she gave me something it was fine mm-hmm. Um, the first week, I don't remember much. I remember you coming over mm-hmm. and rubbing my feet. Ow. And I hate having my feet touched. I was like, I, sure, I remember. But I, I was that. so drug, drugged mm-hmm. up, it didn't matter. 
you're hunched over because mm-hmm. you're like tight. You're so tight. Yeah, I remember you're like you're bent over, over, so your back hurts because you're not used to using the muscles uh, bent over like that. That's the part I, I you don't straighten up for like a w- two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. the worst part was the lipo recovery yeah. because I guess they cut through all your nerves, yeah. and so when they start to reestablish, then. You get like lightning bolt feelings. You get um, like Mm. just generalized tingling. That was really, and that lasted for a few months. And what else? Oh, Mm. about day seven or eight, I had an emotional breakdown. Oh no. Because I felt like I was a bad mom. I'm lying on the couch. I'm not doing anything. We did talk about this. Why did I even do this? Why did I even do this? This was stupid. And that's, and regret is part of the process of recovery because you're always going to go like, why did I do this to myself? Oh my God, I'm so miserable. So that's always with any kind of surgery, regardless of if you have to have yeah. it or not, or it's voluntarily or not. Well, that's the point. It's like you that. did it to yourself. Right. Why did I do this to myself? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, my husband was waiting on me hand and foot. Yeah. I mean, I hear about these ladies saying I didn't have anyone after day three. And I was like, I wouldn't. Couldn't just, even imagine. I couldn't even imagine. Mm-hmm. I mean, they. she was very thorough. She had me on leg squeezers for to prevent DVTs mm-hmm. um, or pulmonary embolism. She had me on a blood thinner for a week. Wow. I had about 20 medications, some yeah. for the, the, the lipo stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I was on antibiotics, I think, for a little bit. Oh, Pain yeah. control stuff. Pain they do control. give you a nerve block. It's called a abdominal nerve block. Right. The anesthesiologist does it. You're asleep. You don't know he's doing it. Right. And that lasts for about two days. Wow. So, But you still, I mean. But you still feel the, the tug and that oh pressure gosh, of it. Just like, I yeah. still feel it now. It's yeah. been almost a year. And oh I still, God, like, when I get up from this chair, I'm going to be like, oh, my back hurts. Yeah. You can feel how tight it is. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So with that being said, would you do it again? Hell yes. <laughs> have you <laughs> seen my cute little outfit yes, I can wear I now? Have, and there's girlfriend. no big lump. Yeah. There's no like yeah. at least no muffin top. No muffin top. There's no it's uh it's I don't regret my decision at all. Beautiful. I wouldn't want like someone young to do it who's still mm-hmm. having babies. Yeah. And, you know. Yeah, or they'd, it, you recommend it to like more mothers who've already established the children, the family, and need to tighten up and get mm-hmm. right. Uh-huh. And I did it for me. Okay. I didn't do it. My husband told me he didn't want me to do it. Mm-hmm. He was like, now he's like, oh, you look good. But he right, didn't want right. me to do it because he said, you know, you're going to be in a lot of pain. Yeah. And I don't he didn't want see, you to go He didn't that. want me to go through the pain. And then, but he knew he couldn't talk me out of it. Couldn't say nothing. But that's okay. It's just about the support, though. At least you had somebody to be here with you. All right. Yes. Thank you for answering all my questions, TT. Well, I just want people to know that, you know, like I said before, you see all these girls and I can tell a Brazilian butt lift a mile away. It just looks very unnatural. Good Lord, Um, yeah. But this is some of the things that we talk about with um, Dr. Martin. I did the interview with him. Mm -hmm. You know, we ask all these questions, not about how the procedures go like I did, but like how do you think plastic surgery is affecting or social media is affecting affecting everything? Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I asked him an interesting question. I said, what if your daughter asked you for something? And he gives a very funny answer. Nice. And you'll see it. So can't wait for you guys to tune in. The interview was so much fun. It's our first interview that we've done that we have on camera. Again, it's Dr. Jason Martin. He's based in Denver, Colorado. He has his assistant. She's not an assistant. She's a nutritional specialist, but Mm -hmm. basically she runs the whole office. She's fantastic. You Mm -hmm. can tell by listening to their podcast that she runs the show. And if she wasn't there, there would be no show. You could totally tell. They get (laughs) along so perfectly. They're like, you can tell they're really good friends Mm -hmm. besides office mates. And they really care about people. They're not trying to profit off their podcast. They're just trying to help people. 
make the to right decision. To get all the, yep, make get the right all decisions, the information, get everything they need to know about it. I love that. Yeah. So that. listen, listen to them at Beauty and the Surgeon podcast, and mm-hmm. I hope you enjoy our interview. Hi, everybody. Titi here. I am super excited. This is our first interview, hopefully going on YouTube. This episode is really important to me. This is Dr. Martin and Amy from Beauty and the Surgeon podcast. I found them because I had my tummy tuck journey in December of 2020. And I was just looking for all the advice I could have. And I found this podcast and it helped me majorly. Um, I continued to listen to them. Amy likes to have voicemail. So I was like, well, she said no one calls her. So I called her and they put me on their podcast. It was super exciting. Doctor said I was very funny. That makes me happy. I like attention. No, but seriously, their podcast is so informative. They only do it to help people. And I just love them. So Dr. Martin is based in uh, Colorado. He is a board certified plastic aesthetic surgeon. He focuses on face, body, breast, and I believe you do trauma too, Yeah, correct? I do some facial trauma, uh, but that's out of passion because I really enjoy doing the facial reconstruction, but our primary focus, you know, 95% is cosmetic surgery. We're super happy to be on here with you, by the way, and thank you for the invite. Um, thank you, I'm so glad you said oh, yes. Yeah. So it was very interesting. Amy's like, you, you're gonna love this podcast. I actually listened to your all's, a couple of your episodes. They were awesome. And amazing and very enga- and very <laughs> engaging. So, you know, we talk about plastic surgery all the time uh, on our podcast, Beauty and the Surgeon, and it's hard sometimes to make some of these topics engaging. Like we just did one on thigh lift <laughs> and like, you know, talking about incisions <laughs> near, you know, personal areas, like sometimes can turn people off. So you're Correct. always trying to make them to where people stay engaged. And you guys have a very engaging podcast. So thanks for the invite. Well, no, thank you. And the purpose of the our podcast is it kind of started on a fluke and I'm 43 years old and it's basically what we wish we told our 20 year old self. Like all this bullshit out there is like, girl, you didn't have oh, to worry yeah. about that. So we're hoping our, you know, generations behind us just listen and be like, why am I even if, doing this? If you would have told, if you would have told 20 year old me that I was going to be a successful plastic surgeon, he would have been like, you're crazy. <laughs> like, could I fast forward to yeah, I was, yeah, there's no way. I would have been like, yeah, no, that's not happening. So, yeah, think, you know, listen, lives can change. You can, you can achieve things even from the smallest upbringing. You know, that's what it's all about. I and mean, this life journey and overcoming yourself and becoming your best version of you, I mean, is representative of her and me. And that's our patients that come in. I mean, that's what our, our, um, our podcast is about empowerment. I mean, that's basically what it's about. No, I love it. And also, Amy, I looked all over the internet, and really the only thing I could find was that you're a nutritional therapy practitioner. I know you you did massage school. Yeah. And quote, unquote, trusty sidekick. <laughs> Come on, Dr. Martin. You need a better yeah, she's the boss. bio she's for her. Is like, she's the... If she wasn't there, your office would just oh, I, 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 I say to everyone, I mean, like, with, without her, I wouldn't be where I am. Like, she... She, it's she and I together. It's it's not her as a sidekick. And it's funny. Um, no, you're not really. Uh, and when, I was called your delegatee right. by the medical staff office today. When they named our podcast, they were talking about beauty and the surgeon. And I was like, it's clearly Amy's the beauty and I'm the surgeon. That That's without question. Yes, but so she's, like that's a bad thing that you're the surgeon? No, but then the thing is, is Amy knows so much about surgery now she could do it herself. So I, she's definitely not a sidekick. Okay. She's a partner. 
<laughs> no, you can really definitely tell that you guys have great chemistry, and I think that probably translates to the patients when they come in. But your your chemistry seems yeah. fabulous, and well, you're you're good looking too. You're a very you good looking man, me? and you it talking helps. about me? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think you got to adjust the uh, the focus on this camera. No. What did you say in one podcast episode? I feel like you felt yourself like, like moderately above average. No. Or something. So if if fifty percent is average, I'm like fifty two percent. But you know it helped. Oh no, come I, on! No, I did hear yeah. that. I did hear. That. You know it's funny. It's it's funny. Just real quick before you get started. It's funny in this business. We think that all plastic surgeons care about how they look and working out, but that's not always the case. There's a lot of us women and men who are just really not in great shape. You know, it's really weird. If you're trying to sell improving yourself you should represent that you should you know and amy does too with nutrition and that's what we try to do in our office is you know kind of live the, the life that we try to educate people it's hard though my plastic surgeon she is gorgeous and i was like i don't i'm just intimidated having to take these naked pictures oh. in front of her but we did right, what we had to do so <laughs> all right so i sent you my questions maybe you looked at them maybe you didn't like I said, our podcast is about more of a social thing. We don't need to get into the nitty gritty of how you do it and what happens. But where do you think the future of plastic surgery is going? So that's, that's a great question. And I think that for the most part, it's going to ebb and flow with what society kind of demands, which I think is unfortunate right now because we're living in a time where there is a lot of social media pressure for an aesthetic that is maybe not achievable even with surgery. You know, the look that people are maybe looking for is maybe achievable for the 1% of the 1% with plastic surgery. So mm. I, I hope, my hope is that we'll come back to a little bit more natural aesthetic of what we as a human race view as acceptable. Um, and she's referring a lot to body types. You know, a lot of the stuff you see with the filters and everything, if you're a 5'2 woman. And wrinkles, like yeah. you just appear completely with a filter. It's crazy, <laughs> you know, and that's the, hopefully the future, you're seeing a transition now, actually, in plastic surgery, where a lot of people are not choosing super large breast implants. They're definitely going to more authentic appearances, which I think is a counter to what you see on social media, that kind of hyper-photoshopped, um, hyper-filtered images that people are trying to step away from that because they realize that it's all fake, right? And um, you see this almost yeah. this threshold we're crossing over now. Um, it, especially in younger people, which has historically not been the case. Yeah. The second thing I think that you would agree with is that people are coming in wanting things that are more awake in office, uh, less invasive, walk-in, walk-out kind of procedures, as opposed to going in and doing these long procedures under general anesthesia. That's definitely for sure, and that's in all ages that are coming in. Well, and I think people in general are maybe starting to do interventional surgery a little bit younger, and there's a little less stigma around it, which I think is actually the positive side of the changes in plastic surgery. You know, it's not unusual for men and women to start thinking about facial aesthetics, like a facelift or a neck lift in their 40s. And I, I hope that that continues on that trend, like where there's less stigma associated with maintaining your appearance, not augmenting it, just maintaining it. Right. <laughs> Yeah, so earlier. When I was like 20, I um, I had a friend who was a plastic surgeon, and we used to get into arguments. I had, you know, the reason I got my tummy tuck is I'm a two C-section girl, and the first one wasn't too bad, but then, you know, after it was like hip to hip, and you have that big, you know, skin that falls over, and it's, it is a little bit of vanity, but having um, self-confidence is very important, you know, how you present yourself to the world. 
So we used to get in these arguments. I'm like, well, if they can't do sit-ups, they should just go to the gym. And he would say, no, if it makes them feel better, that's what I'm here for. He wasn't just an aesthetic surgeon. So I feel so much different than I did at 20. And that's why I agree with what you say, Amy, is like, there shouldn't be a stigma. Yeah. You know, the, the idea of cosmetic surgery is not about vanity. People always talk about that in our office. And Amy and I always refute that. And we shut that down. Well, we, for some people it is. Yeah, but not, I mean. It, not it, the majority. Not the majority. And that's true in California too. Okay. Yeah. No matter what people think, even with all the stereotypes. Like most people, that, yeah, no, it's true. <laughs> most people are coming in. Even if they have, like, yeah. you know, a lot of vibrancy and energy and external projection of that, they're struggling. Self-perception, the way they look, the, the way their bodies Correct. changed after pregnancy. For men with weight loss and aging, gynecomastia for men. I mean, you name it, across the board. These things yes. affect people's lives. And if you could do something, and if you have the, the, you know, the blessings of financially to do it, and if you could do something to change your life in a positive way for yourself, that's empowering that can change the yes. path you're on in your life it's not going to make you happier it's not going to make you richer and it you know it's not going to make all these other things yeah. but it can definitely affect your life in a positive way uh and that's what we love about it and that's where that's how plastic surgery should be approached the problem you get into especially lately is that people are comparing themselves to other people when it becomes external with plastic surgery that becomes a real problem you know and we get that even every day with our patients. My girlfriend said this. I'm like, well, your girlfriend doesn't know what she's talking about, right? Like, she's not you. She's not a plastic <laughs> surgeon. So, and he's right. Another thing is we deal with, too, especially after pregnancy, especially with the C-sections, uh, you know, we get a lot of those, is that once you have that hanging shelf. over skin shelf and scar that's invaginated, that stuff's not going away. You can do as much sit-ups as you want. You can do skin-tightening treatments till the cows come home, right? It's it's not changing. And and my 20-year-old self would have said, bitch, when you're 40, yeah. shut up. Right. <laughs> and it was it really made me self-conscious for many, many years. Right. So, you know, I wish I was a more reasonable person when I was 20. <laughs> so that kind of moves me into the, I think we've kind of talked about it already, about how social media, has, how has social media changed your field okay. for, you know, me, I look at, I really feel sorry for my daughters. I feel sorry for our daughters. I feel sorry for even men. I mean, it's the same thing. And people are just really, they, it's that face tune. And I downloaded it just to see what I could do. And it was amazing what you could do. I face tuned my passport picture because I've never had a passport picture that looks good. Like one of them, my dad made me cry when I was 14. And I was like crying <laughs> in the passport picture. You can chisel your jaw. You can do everything. My passport picture right now is amazing. But I tell everyone, this passport picture is fake. But you put it on so use social media and these kids with these impressionable minds that their brain cells haven't even developed yet, they're like, this is what I'm supposed to look like. So is social media helping you or hurting you at this point? Well, I would say it's hurting the human race for sure. Um, does it help story. our business? I think there's two ways to look at that. Um, the first way is it can actually be really challenging as a board certified plastic surgeon to fight the wave of sensationalism, right? Because you might have a doctor who is a family practice doctor who's doing a lot of filler. And or has, a plastic surgeon. Right, yeah. and is paying for followers. So people yeah. will look at their page and see, oh, this doctor has so X amount of followers, he must be by default good versus someone who you know is a, has an amazing practice as a board certified plastic surgeon, isn't paying for followers or isn't sensationalizing their results, has a moderate amount of followers and normal engagement, and people think, oh, well, he must not be good. Right. You know, so the, the connection there between followers and skill 
there is zero correlation mm. zero. between those things. And I think that's where social media does a huge disservice. The, the second place it does a disservice is that um, to get a lot of followers, and you know, we're in the engagement business. We have a successful podcast. And by the way, we started that podcast as a, as a reaction to where social media was going. We're like, screw this. Like we can, you give Amy and I ah. 60 minutes, 30 minutes to tell you everything we know about this topic. Take it or leave it. People come in our office, we just send them the video off of YouTube, right? Hey, you want to remember what we just talked about? Look at our podcast on this topic. It's pretty much the same thing. So that was our reaction to it. But the second part of it is a lot of the stuff that people put out is not realistic. It's doctored. It's altered. And, yeah, um, and that use Photoshop right. before and after pictures. And that's not just with. And, and yeah. that's, oh, yeah. Yeah. really? I didn't even think yeah. about that. <gasps> you know, it's funny. There's uh, I joined a Facebook group about tummy tucks, but and I heard that. Some doctors, I didn't even fill out a contract with my doctor. I It was just consent forms. But some doctors put in there that they can't put bad reviews on Yelp. It's crazy stuff right. out there. You know, when, when you become in this business, when you're a plastic surgeon and you become successful and then you have a lot more leeway, you know, then it gives Amy and I the luxuries that a lot of people don't have. So I'm not hating on the people coming up. Like, you know, it's a hard-ass business to be in and... I feel for them, the young men and women who choose to be plastic surgeons, specifically in the cosmetic realm. It is a dog-eat-dog -dog world. You better come to the table with some skills and some marketing chops and be able to sell stuff, you know, because the comp competition is fierce. With all that said, in its baseline, and this is the um, benefit, the luxury of being a physician and being a caretaker, is that we first do no harm. We have a right. We have a, yep. we have a duty, sorry, to to make sure we protect you, the patient. And that includes not just our patients, but the ones we're educating on social media. And if you take that to heart, then your social media, your YouTube channel is gonna be more educational. It's gonna show you real before and afters. It's gonna be engaging and et cetera, you know, and that kind of stuff. Nowadays, you'll see a lot more stuff is about trivial stuff on like uh, plastic surgeons, like Instagram pages and their and their stories and stuff. It's like people in the office waving and stupid yeah. stuff like that, which I'm totally fine with that. I mean, we, we're cool with that. But it's not contributory to your plastic surgery journey. All that's just showing is the personalities in the office. We do a lot of streaming events. We do a lot of stuff that are more nationally oriented. But those are all educational, you know, and they're usually for teaching other practitioners, other clinicians. Yeah, so the world has, has changed a lot. I do think we're going to come to a, um, a more homeostatic level, I think we're going to come to something that's better. Uh, but I think it's going to be years. I think we're really working through this. If you think about this medium, what we're doing right now, this didn't exist five years ago. Like, that's crazy. Like, this ability to have this kind of interaction, you in California, you found us yeah. in Denver, that kind of thing, yep. it didn't exist. And, you know, it, we're all trying to figure that out. Um, it does not benefit the people that are trying to stay ethical and honest and that kind of stuff. But Amy and I believe, if you, if we're, hey, listen, Amy and I are going to do whatever we're going to do. Like, you either come with us or we're leaving you behind. We don't care. We may be in the last plastic surgery office without a, a genuine TikTok, uh, you know, um, feed, but that's fine, you know? <laughs> that's funny. I'm smiling because I'm like, I'm sure that we're going to get canceled off this podcast. Yeah, so I feel the yeah. same way. So do you ever say no? Yeah. Because I remember I was listening to an episode where you said, well, someone might get a little, obviously a tummy tuck is like probably the most invasive nope. plastic no. surgery. 
over a mommy makeover, which is a lot of stuff. But is there anything that you don't do or you just say no or when is it too far? Yeah, kind of two different questions there. Um, When we say no and things we don't do. So there are definitely procedures that we just don't do. We don't do gender-affirming surgeries. Yeah, gender-affirming surgeries too. Um, Don't do those. And that's just because it's not our focus. We refer out to doctors who that is their focus. Mm -hmm. We don't do hair restoration. So right. other, yeah, other procedures. But are there times when we say no to people? Absolutely. All the time. It's, it's not all the time. Why would you say no? There's two, two main reasons. <laughs> um, the first one is, is rare. It's rare that someone comes in and has true body dysmorphia. Mm-hmm. When you see true body dysmorphia, mm-hmm. it, it's kind of startling the first few times you see that because it is the more rare side of things. And, uh, to, and, to, and explain what that is. I mean, when you say body dysmorphia, are you talking about lion face and... That Chloe Kardashian butt that looks like like what no, is that? More, I tell my husband, does that look good to you? He's like, no, no. like it's just like. And that's more what's socially accepted. Body dysmorphia is an actually diagnosable condition, and it's where someone truly looks in the mirror and is not seeing reality. They they can't see the reality. They look in the mirror and think they're fat when they're ninety eight pounds, or when they're underweight. Yeah. You know, um, they think they they're. But the, I mean, that would be anorexia, right? No, no, anorexia. Anorexia is how you get to the condition of being that skinny, but it's the perception part of it. Uh-huh. It's not the actual act of not eating or bulimia, throwing up. Uh, yeah, I body see. dysmorphia is a clinical diagnosis of people that are incapable mentally to perceive themselves in an appropriate way. And they are absolutely terrible patients and uh, for themselves and for the physician or for the practitioner. Um, and that's, uh, you, it's your, our responsibility to figure out who has that, which is, can be difficult sometimes. People are very clever and manipulative uh, to find those patients and to make sure that you request that they have, you know, help, that you get them to a therapist, you get them to clinical, you know, support. Um, and those could be the problematic patient. What's the other one you would say no to? So the other one is someone who has unrealistic expectations. Either they think that surgery can do what it can't or they are they have had perhaps surgery that cannot be made better at the moment you know someone who comes in who's unhappy with the surgery they just had well at some sometimes you just like you can't more surgery is not the answer to fix something that you don't like okay so this actually leads me into my next question i want i already have my thoughts about it i'm totally against international plastic surgery and i'll tell you why but i heard that a lot of plastic surgeons, if they are, they come from a different surgeon, they'll just refuse to take care of them because they don't want to be sued or responsible for another surgeon's mistakes. Is that true, or would you try fix uh, it? It's pretty true. I, I will say this um, anecdotally: we did an yeah. eyelid surgery on a patient who just happened to be traveling during the time that her sutures needed to be removed, and even myself calling from a board-certified plastic surgeon's office, requesting that someone in their office simply take sutures out on this patient. Could not find someone to do it. Could not. My two main things I did when I had my tummy tuck was, of course, talk to my surgeon. My surgeon's very responsive. I even have her cell phone number. I can text her anytime. Um, and I don't abuse that, but I'm sure people do. But it was your guys' podcast, and it was um, a Facebook group. And it was just ridiculous the amount of women that are willing to go. I mean, I, I understand there's different laws in different states about how much fat you can remove, or, but the women that would go out of the country and stay a week and then get back on a plane, I could not imagine having a tummy tuck and getting back on so a plane. So we have a whole episode on that. It's called Traveling for Plastic Surgery. <laughs> you got to listen to that because we break it down 
to the nitty gritty parts, and some of those things are super scary. Yeah. Or just being in a foreign right. country and it being is. hospitalized with, you don't understand anything your doctors and nurses are saying to yeah, you. Yeah, that would be the worst case scenario. And listen, you could go to the literally the best surgeon in the world, and there are some, they're amazing okay. surgeons in Bogota, Colombia, yes. in Korea, Brazil. Australia. Yeah. Um, all the European countries have really good plastic surgeons. I know, because they come to all of our meetings. They're legit, they do all the new stuff. But you're still in a foreign country, and you're still not guaranteed that you're not going to have a problem. Mm -hmm. And if you get into a foreign country that's not mm -hmm. first world, okay, and Mexico is not technically in terms of their hospital system like that, no. you get in a hospital there, you are absolutely screwed in most cases, unless you have, uh, what is it called, evacuation insurance, okay, this kind of medical, you know how expensive that stuff is? Well, it's crazy. To Again, it goes back yeah. to the problem, once you get evacuated to the United States, like who's going to agree to continue your care? Right. Then you, that's the second problem. So this is even worse. So yeah. if you go travel for surgery, and people travel to us all the time, so we have this conversation with them, and then you go back home, it's going to be hard for you to find a plastic surgeon there to take care of you if you have a problem, right? Yeah. So we tell people, like, please have a game plan before you travel. Actually reach out to the plastic surgeon's office. What is the cost if I have some sutures that need to be taken out, if I need some wound care or something, what would it cost to come in your yeah. office? Or so you can will you even? Will you even? Yeah, we tell people to do that. You know, especially for us because so many people travel to us now. There's a lot of great surgeons from Mexico. I know that I know people uh, personally and probably other countries, but even for myself, I had like very basic minor complications like spitting stitches. Mm -hmm and I had dog ears, so she fixed the dog ears, and then I ran around town thinking it was just a minor procedure, got a little infection, it was totally my fault. But just stuff like that, and if you can't have someone help you, you know, and just the fact of blood clots on an airplane, I, like I said, I couldn't imagine. It's just, it's just craziness to me, and people promote it, and we have these Facebook groups, and this one girl was talking about, you know, when I breathe in, it was like day six, post-op, and she was like, when I breathe in, it hurts to breathe, and a chiropractor get on there, and she says, oh, your rib's maladjusted. Oh my you gosh. just need to have your rib maladjusted. Yeah. And I instant messaged her, and I said, you need to go into the emergency room. You probably have yeah, um, pulmonary embolus. Yeah. You know, a yeah. blood yeah. clot in your, yeah. in your lung, and she had a double-barrel lung yeah. clot. Which, by the way, by the way, that, that double-barrel, like which is called saddle embolus, uh, is uh, severely mm -hmm. life-threatening. That is a an absolute emergency, and even a young person can die like that. By the way, Kanye West's mom died, I think, from pulmonary embolus with, and you know, from a non. -board. Well, did she have a heart attack? Oh, too? She may have had a heart attack, or she had. I think she started with a pulmonary embolus and ultimately had a heart attack. I don't know her whole clinical, but the point is, she went to a non-board certified plastic surgeon. She's diabetic. Diabetic had extensive surgery, which included yep. a tummy tuck and some mommy makeover stuff. A really long surgery, and ultimately. My understanding, at least got a blood clot, but definitely had a heart attack and died, and died fairly quickly. This stuff happens, and if in, in this, these are real life decisions. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, first do no harm is what we have to do with every patient that comes in. The problem is you're going to a foreign place, and, and it's different when you have family there. Like we have patients who are Mexican who have family in certain areas. Yeah. I totally get that. And I, so sometimes I'll even encourage them, like, go down there. If you can stay down there four weeks, you have family who can take care speak of you. Language. You speak the language. You you understand the hospital systems. That's different. But if you're just carte blanche going somewhere to save 3000 bucks, are you kidding me? Like, do you know, do the do the cost in there, like the plane flight alone, all that kind of stuff that goes yeah. in that missing yeah. work longer than you have to, um, built-in uh, risks related to having yeah. problems after surgery and no surgeon to take care of you. And there's no legal... You don't have any legal ramifications, no legal. right? I mean, at least in America, which is good, right? Doctors are held accountable, and not only with their boards, 
but with the lawyers, basically, you know, malpractice. And yeah. that stuff keeps doctors in alliance. If you're in a country where there's no malpractice, what, what, I mean, you, you, there's no ramifications. Well, and people don't even, I don't think. Correct. And people don't even think, like, why are you flying? So in my state, they fly down to San Diego, like a group of people, and they charter a bus to take him to Tijuana and do surgery. And I'm like, what part of this do you not think about? But then all these people are on social media, like, look at my, they took out all this right. fat. And I remember in an episode you were talking about there's like a limit of fat you can take out before you should like really be staying in the hospital for a day or two, yeah, right? Yeah, four liters, yeah, four liters. Now, now it's five, but like yeah. somewhere around there. And uh, in those situations, without IV fluids, without IV fluids you can cardiac have cardiac yeah, cardiac arrest even as a young person. And that's been known. BBLs, Brazilian butt lifts, you know, injection of fat into the into the large blood vessels, which happens, happened multiple times down in Miami, not even out of the country and in Mexico. People straight up died. Young people, 18, 20, 23, 24 fat years old. Will kill you pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, like right away. Right. I heard BBLs are super dangerous. They're not. They're, they're not super dangerous, but like if you don't go to someone who's conservative, knows what they're doing, board certified, doesn't over inject, knows how to inject. I mean, all these things that go into it are, are really important. And again, if you're in a foreign country and you can't speak their language, how do you? How can you even question what they're doing? Like, how do you? How do you know? It's. It, and how can you even sit on an airplane? On the way back home. <laughs> not with not with nope. not with fat grafting. Nope. You yeah, you're just ruining your fat graft. Yeah. That, that yeah. three-hour flight yeah. from whatever part of Mexico to your home, uh, you're probably ruining the fat graft that they did. That they probably over-injected because they just want to make you look good right after surgery. But they're not. You're not going to follow up with them. They don't care. You know. So and again, Amy and I on our tra tra uh, traveling for plastic surgery episode, we're not against people traveling. Just so you know, and and I'm a big supporter of international mm -hmm. surgeons. I believe that they are well-trained, and a lot of them are American-trained. With that said, yeah. you better have your, your you stuff in order. Plan. Yeah, and if you have not planned it out, and what you find with most patients, God bless them, they're not super organized. You know, They don't have a plan, right? And it's hard enough to go to someone like me in my town and figure it out. I have kids. Like, traveling is a big pain in the ass. Like, I can't imagine traveling somewhere yeah. and then trying to organize the surgery, the post-operative care, all that kind of stuff. Now, you do save money. Maybe, but you might not. But you might not. <laughs> but you do save money. And, and Amy and I also are understanding of people's budgets. We're not shaming people if they're just hardworking and, you know, trying to scrap money together. We love those people. But maybe wait another year, right? Maybe save for yeah. another year and go to a local person that, that you know is good, that you can do the research. Have a couple consults with them. You know, talk with them. Meet their office staff. Talk to patients that have gone to them before. Look at their before and afters. It's worth it. The most concerning thing to me in that situation is not the woman had a double blood clot, was that she was asking social media what she should do about her post-operative care. Right. I mean, that to me is where... I know, but it's it's like real. real and and like, I mean, I have my personal opinions about chiropractors, and I'm pro I'm not going to say it here, but just that I was like, oh, my everybody's gosh. Everybody's like, I was like on the, on the internet. Yeah, Dr. Google, for sure, for sure. You know, thank you for saying that. So it's just a complicated situation. It's just I think that a lot of people, have, it's with social media, they have these expectations that are just not reasonable. And I remember on an episode you were talking about on your location, like it's going to be more expensive in certain areas just because of your location and definitely the Bay Area. But do you think that you get what you pay for? Because that's what I would say. Like, they're like, you paid that much? I said yes, because, you know, I can personally call her. She 
you know, would see me anytime. I was having a lot of pain. Like, so do you think you get what you pay for for plastic surgery or do you think, you know, there can be good deals? I'm not sure. Yeah. Like, I think that's what a lot of young people, they just want the satisfaction and pay the least possible just to get what they want. I would say there's a tight range on that. And I say this in our episode where we talk about what plastic surgery costs because there are many costs that go into plastic surgery, as you know, from having had it. It's not just your surgeon. You're paying, mm -hmm. you're paying the hospital. You're paying the anesthesiologist. Nope. You're paying a lot of other people. So within a range, I think that you're going to get good results. If you're seeing a board certified doctor, there should be a realistic range. Now, there are doctors that we know who charge double what we charge for surgery and are their results any better? No, not even a tiny bit, not even a tiny percentage better. So do they get that money from some people? Yes. Are there doctors that charge significantly less than us that do good surgery? I would say not really, like you get below that range. So if you get quotes, you know, and your quotes are drastically off, right? Something's up. Yep. With, with either yeah. side. In, in your market. Mm -hmm. And the reason why certain exactly. markets are more expensive than the other, obviously Miami is going to be less for BBLs because everyone does them yeah. down there. The problem with plastic surgery, it's not a true commodity. Like, so if you're going on Amazon to buy something that you could look and shop around, well, plastic surgery is not usually one-to-one. -one. I mean, if you go to someone like me with tons of experience in certain things, let's say facelift, okay? Like I do tons of facelifts. Like there's mm -hmm. not that, that all these people out there with my experience. Well, you're paying for my experience, my consistency, and really, most importantly, for you, to, for me to look at you in the eyes and say, I'm going to make your neck 80% better and 100% I deliver on that, right? These kind of things actually cost money. They're tangible, but they're not a commodity, right? And that's where it gets hard in the service industry. You have this gestalt that people, that you really can't quantify. And if you're young and 22, yeah, of course, you're going to look at this like, well, I don't, I, I don't get it. Like, what? great, so you give me good care? I don't care about that. I just want my breast bigger. Um, you know, yeah. and, th and that's okay. Like we've all been young, we've all been there. Uh, unfortunately, those can end up in terrible situations uh, because those offices that offer everything cheap are high volume offices and their whole business model is based on doing as many surgeries as possible. And when you're like that, you're gonna cut corners in every aspect to make it, you know, to squeeze out every penny uh, for profit. Whereas an office like ours, we charge what we charge and you're with us forever. Like we got you. And you know, that, that's yeah. what that, that money is about. Is that worth it to you when you're 22? I know when I was 22, absolutely not. You know, I mean, I was not thinking, I, but, <laughs> but I mean, we have young people to come in and they come to us, not all of them, but they come to us because they realize the benefit, you know? Secondly, surgeons that are successful or offices like ours, there's enough stuff out there where you can start to really realize they are good, right? Enough reviews, enough, you know, well, and your own feeling about meeting with them. Right, going into their office and seeing how competent they are, looking at their before and afters, getting a vibe from the surgeon themselves and An their staff. An office who's trying to force you into surgery the day you see them by yeah. offering you specials or discounted financing or anything like, like if that. Like if you do the surgery yeah. today, mm. we're going to take 30% off. I mean, what is this? What are you buying, like a oh, mattress? Yeah. I mean, seriously. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Right? Like, now I'm not saying you should get 30% I mean, off anything. Amy and I are as frugal as anyone else. I'd love 30% off, but... Like, like I'm not having someone do my facelift and the first thing they say to me, hey, you want 30% off in this? Pay me now. Like, right. uh-uh, it ain't going down like this. Like, this is a big-ass decision in my life that's going to affect me and my family. Yes. Like, I'm going to work through this, and I'm not going to be forced into this just because of my frugality or my lack of funds. Never group on your surgery. Yeah, Amy, Amy, uh, that's her big thing. Like, group, group, like. <laughs> That's a great thing. No, I know. Like, I am not against Groupon, you know. Not like, for surgery. But it, no, I love yeah. Groupon, but there's certain yeah. things. 
for Froyo. Yes. My <laughs> wife and I, my wife and I, had gone out to dinner with a Groupon. It was an awesome dinner. Yeah. Yeah, it was really good. But uh, yeah, I mean, like. Yeah, but the worst that could happen is you got food yeah, Exactly. Is this your yeah, face? Yes. <laughs> One meal. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I think it's it, it, it's so, important. It's really important for people to take time with these decisions and not act impulsively. And, you know, impulsivity at a young age is like universal. Um, you know, you haven't lived life yet. You haven't been traumatized and all the things that go on with life. And you tend to just make kind of rash decisions. And that's really terrible when it comes to surgery. It really is. Weren't we all assholes at 22? Uh, I was. Oh, Amy was not. I wasn't. I, Amy probably no, wasn't. I was. She's quiet I was a better here. person. <laughs> I, I think back on my 20s and think, man, I was such a good person. Oh, I was not. I was I not. was such a good person. No. I'm with you. Like, I'm, they still say I'm crazy, but I was like, you didn't see me at 22. Yeah. So. <laughs> so one thing that happened to me, and I, I really think it was just the very, like it was just the big surgery, is about day seven, day eight, I had a huge emotional breakdown. I was like, I'm an awful mother. I can't move. I'm not taking care of my kids. My husband probably hates me. He took such good, great care of me. He, for two, like two solid weeks, he was just positioning my pillows and I probably took more time than I needed. How do you prepare your patients for the emotional part of surgery, like feeling guilty, dealing with pain? I mean, I asked my surgeon, I was like, oh, it's just like a C-section, right? And she's like, <laughs> no. So how do you prepare your patients for that? It's different based on the patient, you know, and sometimes, sometimes a person struggles in a way that we don't expect. Um, you know, we really, it's individual for each person. We definitely do try and talk to our patients about what to expect for pain, but also remind them that pain is subjective. Like I'm never gonna tell someone that the pain that they're feeling isn't real. There are definitely times when someone's feeling pain that we kind of have to have the come to Jesus talk with them, like, look, like you gotta suck it up, you know? That's like, usually me. Yeah, you know, people do get into a place after <laughs> surgery, two things happen. You know, you kind of get, you get fatigue, right? And I don't mean physical fatigue, I mean mental yeah. fatigue. Mental and sleep deprivation too. Yeah, right? and just of the recovery, like you get to where you reach your edge, like you just like, you're, you're done feeling like an invalid, you're done, having to walk slightly bent over like you're, you're sick of having your husband have to help yeah. you like the guilt hits you all the decisions like why am i still feeling this way or i thought i would be the person that even though dr brian and amy told me to expect this amount of recovery i thought i would be better in 24 hours from right. massive surgery yeah. yeah so you kind of have to take it as it comes but you're so there with saying that like you do hit that point where like recovery catches up with you um, and then actually day seven, day eight, day six, day five, day 10. <laughs> it's usually the day like, you know, you're, you've been on narcotics for five, six, seven days straight. And for, yeah, people that are, yeah, for people that aren't, I mean, and most patients that come in don't take like opioids, you know, on a regular basis Correct. or not like doing serious drugs or smoking marijuana every day or whatever, you know. So most of those patients, if you go that long, um, they start to weird out. They get into a bad place because what happens is. You yeah. become dependent on those opioids, and then you have withdrawals, like literally. Now, these these aren't like actual withdrawals for addicts, but it's a small version of that. And these yeah. people start getting mentally struggling, and then physically they start feeling worse in this kind of ebb and flow situation, which makes the depression, anxiety. They can't move. The kids are crying. The husband's like, I can't do this anymore. And then I just, and then you think to yourself, I spent all this right. money. Like I spent thirty thousand dollars for this. I, this is what I get. Like I'm an absolute for something that idiot. I chose to right. do. I think that's the yep. mental thing. I chose to do this. 
So you're you're completely right. I was in so much pain. I was on Percocet and my doctor upped me to Oxycontin and I took one. Uh, no, I took two. I lied. I took two and then I put them down. I said, they put these down the sink. These are yep. evil. Like, I'd rather be in pain. You're absolutely, everything you say is on the button with yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, so for sure. you know, we try to get our patients off opioids as quickly as possible, like FYI. Like less than five Yeah, days. and we really encourage that. And yeah. when many of you go off opi opioids, you sleep better. Well, just the world is clearer. Like, mm -hmm. the fog lifts a little. And, yeah. like, yeah. everything feels a little bit more maintainable. And what I tell people, the, the thing that most people don't understand about, like, the narcotics like Percocet or Norco that are lower-dose hydrocodone, um, they don't make you feel less pain than the amount of acetaminophen in them. They tell your brain you're not feeling as much pain, but like you can like you can do this. I think that's where people get scared that like the pain will overcome them, that like it's going to get so much worse and that they can't take it. And you know, I think this is where the empowerment side of things comes in. Like you can do this, like mm -hmm. you can deal with this amount of pain and live through it. Um, and that it's not gonna get worse. You yeah. know, like you've, you've felt it, like this is it. You have felt the pain. I mean, it's, yeah. it sometimes it gets to the point, like, it's always good cop, bad cop, and, and most of the time, Amy's the good cop. But most it's, of the time, most of the time sometimes she's not the bad always. cop. Dude, when she's a bad cop, you step out of the way. Yeah. She does that with me. I'm like, I, I, whatever you want me to do, I'm so sorry. Um, so with the patients, I'll, I'll, I'll look them in the eyes, and, and I'll, like, I'll be like, God damn it, we got to go. Like, this is it. Like, you got to pick yourself up. I am here with you. Like, we didn't do this for not. We're going to get through this. You got this. You got to do yeah. this for your kids, for your family, for recovery. You got to get back on your feet. You got to get over yourself. Now. Yeah, you got to get out of your head. Pick like, yourself, yourself up. Let's go. Yeah, the surgery's and, awesome. Right, and I'll <laughs> you waste your money. I'll joke with them, but I was like, I'll come over and get your ass out of bed if I have to. I will come to your house and start yelling at you. Um, <laughs> we are walking around the block right, together. You're gonna walk. <laughs> the other problem we see is, you know, most husbands. Some husbands are just like, just sucky. But like most husbands are really. They care, you know. They care too much. Yeah, and they care too yeah. much. But they can only take two days. No, they, yeah, they're, they're terrible. <laughs> well, they're keeping people over-medicated. Oh, no, they're like, don't move, and I'll give you yeah. pain medications. Yeah. I don't want you to hurt. It's been three hours and 59 minutes. Here's another Percocet. <laughs> so I, my patients are like my our kids. Like, we don't, we love them, right? We'll, we'll be strong with them, but we're always, yeah. the husbands are not my kids. I look at them, I'm like, you son of a bitch. Stop yeah. being this way. I don't care what you've dealt with in your relationship in the past. You stop being this way. You need to get her out of bed. And then they'll say, okay. I'm like, no, no, no. Are you hearing me? Are you seeing what I'm saying right now? Get her out of bed. You're not helping her. And they're like, okay, I'm so sorry. I'm like, no, I told you this before. I mean it. Like, we, we are serious. You don't walk. You get blood clots. And then you end up with a saddle in list. It's like yeah. the person on your Facebook group. Like, this is real life stuff. Guess what helps with swelling? Walking. Guess what helps with pain? Yeah. Walking. Guess what helps your wounds heal better? Walking. Mental health. Yeah. Guess walking. what helps your brain? Walking. <laughs> yeah. Like walking outside helps your kid. Yeah. You need to walk around. That's where people get it wrong. And that's where, again, going to someone who, like the surgeon you went to, right, who's legit, tells you exactly how you need to recover. You have a communication line with them, right? All of us, even the strongest minded person with pain and sleep deprivation, you weird. get into a bad Tough. place. And that's okay. I mean, this is a loving environment here. But you need people to be supportive, to be strong, to be diligent, to not give up on you. Yeah. And to, and to push forward. And not, some people are the opposite. Some people are crazy. They're like, I'm going to go, I want to start jogging now. And it's like a week out from a, you know, and I'm like, I'm like, we're like, no, you can't. 
Stop. I'm really bad. So it, it it was a rough recovery. Let me tell you what happened to me on my first night because I was on the couch. I have like a three story home. It's yeah. not. It's like a tri level. So I was on the couch. We had two earthquakes, and I was just looking at the bookshelf, super whatever I was on, and I was like, well. If it falls on me, I'm done. Oh and I just wasted a lot of money. <laughs> like, I'm going to be crushed to death. <laughs> this is how it ends. Yeah, oh, don't come to California. That would be terrible. Well, see, there's a good reason to travel for surgery. Go to a place where there are no earthquakes. It's so funny. Like, places with good weather always have, like, crazy weather stuff, right? Like, so California, earthquakes. Colorado, like, you'll get a snowstorm with three feet. Like, any any beach, you get a hurricane. I have two more questions for you. I'm not going to hold you up. It's Friday night. You have daughters, correct? Uh, I, yeah, ha- I have, I have pseudo, pseudo children. You've got real yeah. birth children. What do you tell your kids, or if you had kids, what, what would you tell them about plastic surgery? And what if they came to you at 15, 16? What would you tell them if they're like, I want um, my breast done, or I want a BBL? Because I do know people that have paid their paid for their children to get stuff done like that. What would you tell them? I'm not talking about someone that has like ears sticking out like this and they're getting, you know, what would you tell them? Can I go first? You go first, yeah. Well, there are legitimate reasons why minors have surgery, but. um, And we need to start this conversation by saying prominent ears has been shown to have an amazing effect on kids kids growing up and their self-perception. So reducing those. Large breasts in very young women, a breast reduction has shown categorically and data driven to improve their lives. So, you know, there are cases where young kids, you know, younger than 18 are definite candidates. Severe nasal deformities from trauma or birth, cleft lip and palate. You know, there's so many things that children can qualify for, just FYI. But go ahead. Yeah, they're elective. But it is a challenging conversation with teenage girls because again the social media impact and also there's they they have questions right so i think uh, the bigger question i get is their their friends right like want to know about bbls that's a big one um there are definitely some questions that i've gotten from the teenage girls about gender reassignment not for themselves but like asking you know friends of theirs that are considering these um top surgeries specifically um, I think it's the big one. Uh, also filler. Filler is the question I get asked all the time. Like, oh my gosh, can you guys fill my lips? You know, I'm like, you're 17, like go, go away. Um, but that's not it. You know, and I, I really, I try really hard to exemplify the things that I think about life and beauty, you know, with, with teenage girls, because I, you know, that's really where this conversation starts. You know, I also tell them the honest truth about what I would have done and not have done. You know, I'm very open with that. That I have very definite feelings about whether or not I'd have certain types of plastic surgery. So I don't hide it or make it seem like something they should never do at all. You know, I'm very open about the fact that I will obviously have a facelift hundred percent. I will, (laughs) you know, so I think being open, right. (laughs) And I think that's the bigger part of it is like being open and answering their questions honestly, but also reinforcing the fact that, Plastic surgery will not make you a different person or a better person or, or happier, happier, or popular, you know? or yeah. whatever. Yeah, and so that's the like. I have a daughter who's sixteen, and not, we don't talk about plastic surgery at home. It's just not part of our home life. She doesn't ask about it. Never. They just like, okay, I guess that's what you do. And some of that is like, you know, when it's your parent, like you, you want to really talk to your parents, but you know, I mean, yeah. like whatever. The second thing is though, but like her friends will be over and they'll ask me things yeah, and stuff like that. You know, my approach, our approach, Amy and I's approach is about education and being honest to people, especially young people too. But other, you know, parenting styles are different and I would never judge someone for that, you know, if they don't want to have, but we have real open conversations. And for me, the go-to for young people is always this. It's not going to change your life 
It's not going to make you happier, and it's definitely not going to make you more successful unless you truly, your business model is based around showing your butt or your breast. And if that's my daughter, it ain't happening, <laughs> right? Like my daughter it is, I'm sorry. Get like petty. that's not, and like no judgment. Yeah, no judgment, no judgment on people. I came from humble beginnings. People do what they have to do, but my daughter's not doing that. I'm like, you, you were born lucky. You're going to college. You can figure your stuff out from there. You're not going to make your money by showing your butt or your breast. Okay. Yeah. So in, I think in most cases, most children less than 18 can understand that. The problem then comes, there are plastic surgery practices and non-plastic surgery practices that cater to people that are 18 and younger and 20 and 22. Well, and a lot of those, I have to jump in and say, are, are somewhat catering to the, the vanity of the parents in those situations, right. like for sure. Right, and so every now and then we get, because we're successful, we get a lot of parents, not a lot, but every now and then we get parents come in with their kids. And that's really hard because the parent is the, um, guardian and so really the risk also of the one projecting right the risk and benefit yeah. conversation has to be with the parent but then you but i have that with the parent but then i immediately turn to the kid and i pretty much start treating him like my daughter and it usually it's usually uncomfortable because the you you can see the six-year-old girl like what the hell is he saying to me right now i was like you know like like what do you really feel about yourself like come on let's have a real conversation let's, let's really talk um, we have a tendency to be very conservative with people less than 18. Just really tr truth. Uh, we primarily focus on rhinoplasty or nose jobs, uh, which are, there's definitive candidates for that. Yeah. And the data shows that they could, that could be helpful. Breast reductions and otoplasties, which are ear tucks. Ear tucks are some of the most transformative surgeries you can do for kids. Yes. Kids with prominent ears really get tortured and bullied. Yeah. So, like besides that, we don't even get into lip fillers for young people. Breast augmentation. Breast augmentation for people less than 21. I won't even put saline implants because they're inferior in there. And right now the FDA rec uh, requires you to do saline for anyone less than 21. Some people don't follow the FDA rules. It's actually 22. 22, less than 22. Mm -hmm. So I won't even do a breast dog on someone less than 22 because I'm not going to use saline. There's no reason for you to put something inferior inside your body. Your body's a temple. You deserve it. If you don't have the money now, you wait till you have the money to put a silicone breast implant in there. So I don't know if every office is like ours. I don't know. You know, I happen to have a 16-year-old daughter, so it's, yeah, I have a 16-year-old daughter, so this is really a meaningful conversation to me. You know, I try to not be like, you know, emo when I talk to young patients about this or like their dad, but it, 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 it inevitably gets into an emo conversation and I act like their dad. And then they're like, I don't like you. So, Well, and your body changes so much. I mean, I don't know about a man's body, but for my body between 18 and 24, it changed so much. I mean, I was like... I had no breasts when I was sick. I, they call, used to call me pancake because I had flat ass and flat breasts, right? And then I just turned a certain age and I was like, whoa, what's happening here? So, I, but you know, we talked about this, you know, kids are, it's very like everything. I want it now, I want it now, daddy. You know, I want my golden egg. Um, that's just kind of what it is, so. I had one more question for you, and then I would uh, I want you to have the opportunity to um, say anything to my audience that you want to get off your chest. Um, but I think you kind of already answered it. The question was, is what do you think that your moral obligation is to the standard of beauty nowadays? But I really feel like you've kind of answered it. I mean, I think to me, I think overriding is I, I hmm. feel beautiful and worthy regardless of surgery. Right. And that's, that is absolutely my goal. And that's the same thing going back to the conversation with children. like. 
there's always time for surgery, you know, and there there's always surgery's always an option. It's always out there. But, you know, understand your worth and your innate beauty is something that surgery can yep. never give you. Right. And the, the second yeah, and the yes. second part of it is beauty is so subjective, just like politics, just like you know, you know, everything else that we're dealing with in the world, like all the strife and difficulty people are having with interacting with each other is because of the subjectivity. You know, there is no right answer. And when you get into something where there's no right answer, you just really makes it difficult to make decisions. Your viewpoints are not easy. Like, you know, everyone knows if you touch a hot pot, it it burns, right? But some people, some, yeah, some people's like, <laughs> crooked nose for one person is terrible and the other person they're like yeah it's kind of cool I kind of like it you know actually if you look at some of these famous models they don't really have perfectly symmetrical faces they have really long foreheads and short chins or you know some things that we perceive if you just went and homogenized the entire population and made everyone look the same you wouldn't have beauty right because there's certain things that are different that actually turn out to be beautiful And, and that can apply to every single person that comes in so really, if you, fo- if you do this business in our version right, it's about empowerment. The other thing I want to say before we get off this is the beauty- beautiful thing about medicine is agnostic. Amy and I don't care. You could be a total jerk and come in here. You could be the best person in the world. You could be sassy and external. You could be mousy and internal and really insecure. Like in the end, we don't care. We, we're like <laughs> Ellis Island. Uh, we're like uh, the Statue yeah. of Liberty. You know, we, Let's fix what bothers well, yeah, you. Yeah, to be on. honest with you, we like more screwed up people than not, like people that really are struggling, you know, because we can relate to them because we've been through life and we understand it. And, you know, those people have... I don't know, more of a fabric to them. Like you, you have that, like that fabric, like where you could talk to someone, like real talk. All those things are about this interaction that we have, but we do not impart beauty on people. I tell them, I have an aesthetic eye, so does she. When people come in, it's a project for me. I'm looking at them and say, oh, how can I improve this? I'm so excited, you know, I, I, it's a project for me. I'm looking at them and say, oh, how can I improve this? I'm so excited, you know, I, I, or an auto mechanic, like going through your engine, seeing how they can upgrade it. But in reality, it's about what you want. Oh, yeah. It's about you, <laughs> your life, your path. It's not about me. I'm just a guide. I can help you get to where you need to be. But it's not about me deciding what's beautiful. Society, social media, your husband, you know, your friends. What you think your husband wants. Right. <laughs> like that. If you want to piss me off, start telling me, if you're a female, start telling me what your husband told you, what you need to do. Like, that's when I, that's when I shut the conversation down and say, we're not having this conversation. Not in my office, and definitely not next to her. One of the strongest women I know, so besides my wife. So, uh, you know, the, the reality of it is, is that it's not really about societal beauty. It's about you and what you want out of your life. And honestly, it's different for every single person that comes in the door. It's not defined. But by the way, we did a we did an episode on beauty, and we talked about you know we've done, many. We done on like like what people consider beautiful, the Fibonacci Fibonacci sequence, and you know, facial dynamics and stuff like that. I like big noses yeah. and men. I love a big nose. Right? I don't know what it is. So you're totally right. Everything you yeah, just said exactly. is spot on. And I love that we kind of ended with that. Like, I think this, <laughs> I so think you funny. guys are going to so help funny. a lot of people with your not. And I already told Amy before, her skin is beautiful. Like, you just have the best skin ever. Yes. And at the end of the day, you know, it's corny as all, but really beauty is on the inside and you can always tell an ugly person and um, 
you know, people will say I'm very bitchy and I am, I, I can't be bitchy, but I, you know, I just feel a good energy from you guys and I can tell you guys are beautiful on the inside and it really just helps project out there as corny as that sounds. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed the interview guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. And remember, you can always listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Mm-hmm. We're on YouTube now at She's Gonna Say It. Yep. Amazon All your- Music. Amazon. Pandora. Mm-hmm. iHeartRadio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one day. One day. One day they'll notice, they'll notice us. Actually, I was listening to one of our podcasts and they threw an ad right in front. What? So I need to know, are you just allowed to throw ads? Is that progress? What? Or like, I didn't get asked if you could put an ad in my podcast. No. Nice. Where's my money? Where's our cash flow? <laughs> nice. I love it. And also you can uh, join us on our Facebook page, group, and Instagram at She's Gonna Say It. And you can always email us at She's Gonna Say It.com. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in, guys. It's Miss Lou. And we out. TT out. Vacation Hey, yo, here's the deal She gon' say it and it's something you gon' feel Yeah, she gonna say it Yeah, she gonna say it Yeah, yeah, she bout to finish She not finna play with you Yeah, she gonna say it Yeah, she gonna say it Yeah, she gon' make a move Man, come out with two Yeah, she gonna say it Yeah, she gonna say it Yeah, she one of a kind She speak what she got on her mind Yeah, she gonna say it yeah, she let her say it. Yeah, yeah, she gotta say it. Yeah, she gotta say it. Yeah.